0: Amen. Thank you, Ed. Wow. Before we begin our time of uh, sermon today, there's an announcement I need to share with you. So if you give me your attention for just a moment, I'm sure you've been following the news and you're well aware that our president has signed into order now the CARES Act, C A R E S, the CARES Act. We have been made aware from both local uh, authorities as well as uh, national entities that this funding actually includes churches as well. So today on behalf of your finance committee and your personnel committee, I'm calling for a special church conference this coming Wednesday night at six o'clock, uh, April the 8th. Now I can hear you even from, from this location saying, well, Brother Fred, uh, how are we going to accomplish that? This is a pandemic. We're not even allowed to be meeting together in large groups right now. Well, indeed, you're correct. These are unusual times, and they call for unusual measures. This is a time-sensitive matter that we have to respond to very quickly and prudently. It requires immediate action. We found over the past several weeks that we have really had more attendance in our online uh, services than we have had in our in-person meetings, especially on our Sunday evenings. So soon you're going to be receiving by text and email a link to a video presentation that will explain the CARES Act to you and how it relates to us at First Baptist Church. Folks you know and trust will be dealing with frequently asked questions about uh, the CARES Act and regarding our involvement in its action. Then you'll also receive by text and email a link to a Facebook Live presentation for a call church conference this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. During that session, you'll have opportunity to ask any questions that have not already been dealt with in the earlier presentation and have them answered You'll also have opportunity to actually vote on the matter at that time or within the next short period of time. I know this is not the way that we've always done things. I understand that. But once again, these are unusual times. We're prohibited from being doing business as usual. We just can't right now, the way we've always done it. So please bear with us. Let us make this decision together, even when we cannot be Totally together. So if you'll hear that announcement, I would appreciate it. Turn with your in your Bibles, please, if you will, to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Uh, I want to teach you to refer to this as the song of the cross. And I'll tell you why in a few moments. But as you're turning there, please give me your other ear. And let me prepare you for next week. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. I cannot tell you how incredibly we are grieving even now your ministers and I that we cannot be together in one place with you next Sunday it's just difficult for us I can't tell you how much it is but we're in the midst of this pandemic we can't meet together in person for our Easter celebration however we want to help make that day as special as possible so next week I want to invite you to join me to where together we can celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's right. You'll be doing it in your homes, but we'll be leading you here as a part of our overall worship. So let me tell you how you need to prepare. Please set aside a couple of crackers, any kind that you might have, and some juice. Set them aside for this purpose. If you don't have these or cannot get these, Substitute with anything that you have. I don't want you to put yourself out going out, especially right now, if you need to be staying in. The point is to be prepared, to be prepared for next week. Now, during our Easter services, I'll lead you in the partaking of the Lord's Supper in your homes. Now, once again, I know that's not the way we've always done it. But these are different times, and they require us to be creative at this time. So you prepare, and we're going to celebrate this together next Sunday morning as part of our Easter celebration. So, now you're at Psalm 22, and we can begin our message for this morning. I I like to refer to this as the Song of the Cross. Now, if you have not already uh, downloaded your sermon notes, you should have sent them, uh, received them uh, probably Saturday evening or Sunday morning, again, by text or email. Uh, you can pause the uh, presentation right now and go get those where you'll have it in hand. We want it to be as much like regular Sunday morning as possible, but we know that's a rather difficult thing to do. David wrote this psalm hundreds of years before Christ. And just as significantly, hundreds of years before crucifixion even became a means of execution. And yet, as you read this psalm, it sounds like you're hearing an eyewitness reporter on the scene, microphone in his hand and to his mouth, telling you what was going on on the cross. It is so incredibly in detail, especially in some of the agony that our Lord went through that it really seems to be a live witness. But again, written prophetically hundreds of years before the event. This was a a song that was written to be sung in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. But it foreshadowed the Messiah in such a phenomenal way. In this psalm, there are no fewer than 33 prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ, about his death, is phenomenal. We, I would love just to go into those with you today, but I, the Lord's led me in another direction. All of this in this one psalm. This, if in nothing else, proves the absolute reliability and veracity of the Word of God because no other holy script on planet Earth prophesies has prophecy that is verifiably fulfilled. This is unique to our Christian faith. You know, it's very important for us to never forsake the preaching of the cross of Christ. Where would you and I be without Calvary? i tell you where I would be. I would be lost and I would be eternally damned. My soul would be in ruins and yours probably would as well. It's all because of the cross and the empty tomb. Years ago, Dr. Billy Graham was about to uh, come and preach a crusade at a particular city. And he, uh, he mailed the mayor of that city. And he asked the mayor, could you give me some names of people that you would really like to see come to faith in Christ during the crusade? Billy Graham in his memoirs, stated that what he received in the mail a few days later was a city telephone directory. The mayor was saying, every person in our city needs to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's only by means of the cross of our Lord. Now, again, this is a song. It was a worship song, a song that was meant to be engaged in, in the temple and in the tabernacle, part of worship. But like many of the Psalms do, it it grasped the wide range of emotions from the depths of despair and sadness into the high reaches of praise and joy. So because of that, I want to start where the psalm starts and start with the abject, sad notes of the song of the cross. It begins with a plaintive, mournful tone. Some of the saddest words ever written. When Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting the first lines of this song that he knew so well, that he had many times sung as a child coming up in the synagogue and that he realized from the earliest of time really was speaking prophetically of himself. In this sad minor key, we hear the refusal of the cross, the ridicule of the cross, and the rejection of the cross. Will you look with those with me for just a moment? First verses 1 through 6, the refusal of the cross. There was an incredible refusal that happened on that day, on that Friday. The Holy Father refused the Son some very specific request. Now, the Father had never refused the Son any request. But here from the cross... As Jesus was becoming sin for us, as he was taking my sin and yours upon himself, the father refused the son. Look with me. First there in verse 1, the father refused to come near. The father refused to come near to the son. The son asked, why are you so far from helping me? Jesus stated that the father had forsaken him, was far away from him. The father and the son were always one from before time began, inextricably one. And yet, as he had to take our sins upon himself, as he became sin for us, it fractured the Godhead. The father could not come near the son. The father turned his back on the son. Because in that moment, the son was becoming sin for us. He was taking upon himself the sins of the world. So the first refusal was the father refused to come near the son. The second, the father would not hear the son. That's verse 2. It says, you do not hear me. Jesus cries out the father not only would not come near the son but he refused to hear the son now as we read the gospels especially the gospel of john jesus says over and over that he and the father have spoken daily they have there's nothing that the father has denied the son but as he cried out from the cross the father could not hear him can you imagine not answering the agonizing cry of your child It's unimaginable. It's something you can't think of. When Chris and Paige were in the hospital and they were about to give birth to their second child, our our first grandchild, Rachel, he told us, don't be waiting in the waiting room. Go and be involved in doing other things. So Valeria and and Deanna, they were uh, off at her school doing something, preparing a room. Jonathan and I was at his place of ministry. And my phone rang. And I saw it was Chris, and so I opened it right away. And he said, Dad, I need you. That's all that registered. Immediately, Jonathan and I were on our feet and running to the car. Dad, I need you. Paige and Rachel both were in distress. There were a time that we thought we might lose both of them. And as you know, eight days later, we did did indeed lose Rachel. Rachel. But he cried out to me, Daddy, I need you. I cannot imagine ignoring that cry. Could you? And yet the father refused to hear the son. Refused to hear because at that moment in time, the sin of all mankind shrouded the man on the cross. The Father would not come near the Son. The Father would not hear the Son. And verses 3 through 6, we see the Father would not clear the Son. He says historically, Father, you delivered them. They cried to you and they were delivered. You see, the ancient people of God, so many times, so sinful, wandered so far away from God. But over and over again, if they would cry out to God, out of the depths of their heart, God always heard them and responded to them in love, cleared them of their sin and answered their needs, But, but not his son, not at this moment. The father could not vindicate the son because sin had to be punished. Sin required death. And so the father could not clear his son. And so we see the refusal of the cross listen God will always come near you he will always hear you and he will always clear you but the reason that he can do this is because he refused to come near his son to hear his son and clear his son When the Son took my sin and yours upon himself, made it possible that you and I could have the relationship with God that the Father and Son had known from before time began. But that's possible only because the Son took our refusal. The Son took our absolute spiritual poverty, our sinfulness on himself. So the first notes we hear are the notes of refusal. It reminds me of that old, old hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah! What a Savior. So the first sad notes we hear are of the refusal of the cross. The second ones we hear is the ridicule of the cross. And that's verses 6 through 8. The next sad refrain, if you will. In this ridicule, there are are three items that stand out and jump off the page. First of all, Jesus was scorned. Verse 6, the latter part says, He was a reproach to men. They scorned him, they laughed at him, they played a game with him to where they would blindfold him and slap him and then say, Prophesy which one of us slapped you. They laughed him to scorn. They wove a crown of thorns, placed it on his brow, and then beat it down with a reed. Hailed him, king of the Jews, mocking him. He was scorned. Secondly, he was despised, the latter part of six, and despised by the people. The very people he came to save were the people that despised him, hated him. They were disgusted by him. He came in love and mercy. And the scripture says he came into his own, but his own received him not. He was scorned, he was despised, and finally he was mocked. Verses 7 and 8 says they ridicule me. They exploded upon him with insults of every kind. Hey, you said you could save others. Save yourself if you can. We don't know all the things that were said From the foot of the cross to him but we know they mocked him they scorned him they relentlessly and mercifully decried him so in these sad plaintive mournful notes of the song of the cross we hear the refusal and the ridicule but finally we hear the rejection and that's from verses 9 all the way down to verse 22 specifically it's a vicious rejection in verses 9 through 13, they refer to the bulls of Bashan, that there none to help him. The bulls have surrounded him. They gape at me with their mouths. These bulls were huge, mighty beasts that were fed on plush vegetation and were strong and, and vicious. Jesus saw himself surrounded there on the cross by those who were powerful and vicious and hateful. They had been fed the plush things of the world, and they had been led and inspired by none other than the devil himself. And they were roaring at him with a vicious rejection. But it was also a vile rejection. It refers in verses 13 and 15 about a raging, roaring lion. That's a reference to Satan. Sometimes in the Bible, the lion refers to the lion of Judah, the Lord God himself. But other times, it refers to Satan. He's depicted in Peter as being a a roaring lion, wandering about, seeing who can find that he might devour. Satan has always tried to devour Jesus. The confrontation that began even with Adam and Eve was really focused on the cross. But you see it specifically after Jesus died. How Satan inspired that maniac Herod, to so try to be sure that he'd killed whoever this Messiah was. He had all of the boy children in Bethlehem executed two years of age and younger. Yes, that was Herod, but behind Herod was Satan trying to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. He tried to destroy him in the temptation in the wilderness. But here he finally concocted a heinous plan that he saw was really coming together. And the Son of God was going to die in shame. Cursed is anyone who dies and is nailed to the tree. And so if he could have the Son of God cursed, he would indeed win. And Satan thought he got what he wanted. (laughs) But he would not want (laughs) what he got when he got what he wanted. That's the amazing thing. God used even the vile treachery of a Satan-inspired Judas to bring about our salvation. It was a vile rejection, but it was finally a violent rejection. When we read verses 16 through 21, he says, They pierce my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Violence. Jesus took on the most violent of acts upon himself. Hands and feet pierced, hanging the way he was, his ribcage and bones sticking out all over, denied water, body beaten. I, I find it fascinating that he who created the trees was now hanging on one. He created water, was dying of thirst. He who created the air to breathe, had to pull against the nails in his hands and in his feet just to exhale to where he could breathe again. The Lord endured the cross, and according to Hebrews, despised the shame. We should never, ever, ever be ashamed of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not trivialize it by putting it into a little ornament, but wearing it boldly in our heart, never to be ashamed of him on the cross. The cross speaks life and forgiveness to the true child of God, and we treasure it. So with this, these verses, the sad and mournful and plaintive uh, strands begin to echo away. But gladly then at this point, there's a change. And the glad notes, the celebrative notes of the song begin to take shape. Thank God that the story of our salvation does not end with Jesus on the cross. The cross is empty and the tomb is empty that our lives may never, ever be empty. The glad notes of the cross, three things I want you to see in this second part of the song. First, the promise of his resurrection. Fill in the blank. The promise of his resurrection. That's verses 22 through 25. He says, you have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. And he goes on talking about all the ways he'll declare that. How can he do that if he remains dead? He can't. Only a resurrected risen Lord Jesus can declare for all eternal life. He went to the cross promising the disciples that he would come again, promising the disciples that if they destroy this building in three days, I'll raise it up again. And indeed he did. We're going to talk about that more next week. So we, we, we see the promise of his resurrection. Verse 26, the praise of the redeemed. Those who seek him, they will praise the Lord. The redeemed of the Lord praise him. We lift him up. That's why we love to meet together and why we're grieving even now that we can't be together. Because worship, though it can be done Privately and individually and in homes and just a few, it's best made to be done collectively with large crowds. And when we gather around the throne in heaven for worship that will never end, it'll be with every <clears throat> tribe and tongue and nation on the planet all crying out the praise to our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, the church is not... Not made up of a holier than thou club of, of do getters. It's the blood bought family of God coming together, thanking Him and praising Him for what Jesus has done for our redemption. It's a place where once sin sick souls find the opportunity to serve Him with joy and with adoration. It's a place where those still sick can come and find a great physician who is the healer of everything broken in their lives. That's the church, folks. And it's not this building. This is where the church gathers. But where we are now is the church scattered. We can't be together together. But we can be together. Together of one mind and one heart. The promise of the resurrection, the praise of the redeemed, and finally the power of his reign in verses 27 through 31 look what it says, that the nations will worship before you. It's the kingdom of the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. His rule will reach the ends of the earth. Do you know that on every continent, Christ is being praised today? And on Easter Sunday, on every continent, not every, every language and every people group, but on every continent, people will be gathering together to praise the Father for the gift of the Son, all of it being fulfilled, and all because of the song of the cross. Have you been to Calvary recently, folks? If you've never had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, uh, you can still picture it in your mind. The hill still exists today. Still has the outline and the look of a skull with pockets in the eyes and for the nose. On the top of it, even today, still stands a cemetery where once the crosses stood. Right outside the Damascus Gate to where people traveling to and fro would look up in horror at its power and all it could do to subjugate a people. But you come to Calvary to see the Lord Jesus. There's only one vantage point to where you can really understand it. Some time ago, I read the story of a Dr. Frank Evans, and he was touring Italy. And as he was in one particular town, they said, look, you need to visit this one particular village. If for no other reason to go to this one little chapel, and in this chapel is a magnificent painting of the cross of Christ. And so he had time on his hands. He traveled to that village. He came in. He found the, the little church. It was easy to find. The caretaker was nearby. And the caretaker saw him come and said. Oh I know you're, you're here to see the painting. Come on in. He brought him in in that beautiful chapel. And he looked at the painting. And, and it was kind of strange. It was out of proportion. It was narrow at the bottom. And wide at the top. And it just. It looked entirely strange. But the caretaker said, come, you have to get close. It was mounted on the wall and it went up all the way to the ceiling. He said, come, come get close. Come, get close to the bottom of the cross. Come closer. Now kneel. Come close and kneel. And now look up. And from that perspective, at the foot of the cross, everything came into symmetry. Folks, My life only makes sense when I look up from kneeled position at the cross of Jesus Christ. The suffering we go through only makes sense when you look at the cross from kneeling before it. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know what it means when he died on the cross to take your sins upon himself? Have you ever come to him confessing your sins and allowing him to take your sins upon himself and give you his righteousness, give you his new and eternal life? If you've never done that, I want to invite you right now, watching at home. Maybe maybe you've gathered with members of our church. They've invited you over to watch this service and be a part of it today. They understand exactly what's about to happen. So I want you to understand, in in just a moment, Ed's going to begin to play a song. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And during that prayer, you can come to the throne of God. You can come to the foot of the cross. And you can confess, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner in need of your grace and mercy. I'm confessing my sins to you. I'm asking you to come into my life, to cleanse me and forgive me and to be the boss of my life. Everybody in the room, or even if you're there just by yourself, will you bow your heads and let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We come to the cross. We come to look up and see the mangled, tortured body of the Son of God who became our sin for us. And everything within us wants to cry out, God, I need your love. I need your forgiveness. Right now, Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to encourage those who are walking today to just pray along with me, to just say, Lord Jesus, right now I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Right now I confess I've been doing life my own way. Right now, I confess, I've made a mess of much of my life. But right now, I sense this heaviness in my heart and a longing in my soul to have Jesus in my life. So right now, Lord Jesus, I dare to believe that when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose three days later, it was so I could have your life eternal life. Lord, I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender the control of my life to you. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I dare to believe you're the Savior I've always needed but never knew. Today, I rejoice that I am your child. Father, I know because of your word that this is your will for all who will to be saved. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. These precious ones, Lord, that have prayed even today to receive you into their lives. The angels are rejoicing and we want to rejoice as well. So, Lord, will you encourage them to tell those who are gathered with today or to call us or email us or text us and tell us, I asked Jesus to come into my life today because we want to rejoice with them. We want to share what the Bible says with them. Will you encourage them to do that today, Lord? Father, right now, all of those that are your children, we gather around the cross today where alone we can find perspective of life. And we look up, and we don't see a Savior hanging on the cross anymore. We see an empty cross because he's been taken down. And we rush, and we see an empty tomb because he's risen just like he promised. So today, Lord, we worship you. We adore you. We praise you. We thank you for what you've done in our lives, transforming us, making us new, and being our master and Lord. Father, we can't be together right now, and we're grieving that fact. But right now together in one heart, in one mind, in one spirit, we just praise you and thank you. We love and adore you. And until we can get together again, until we can be together together, we want to serve you. We want to reach out to a a hurting neighborhood and, and, and community and county and state and nation. We want to reach out your love and your grace and your mercy. Give us creative ways to do that, Lord, and we will obey you. We will do exactly what you put on our hearts to do. Thank you for allowing us to gather, even by means of the media, that we can be together even when we can't be together. We bless you in the name of our risen Lord Jesus. And in that great name we pray, amen. God bless you today.